Welcome to Career in Ruins, where this week we're starting our podcast. Well, here we are. I know. Our first ever Career in Ruins podcast. We're 10 seconds in, but it feels like it's taken us a long time to get here. I know. <laughs> I know. But I'm really excited. Um, I, I guess it's probably a good place to start is to let everyone know what Career in Ruins is and how it came about and what we're hoping to achieve over the next few weeks, months, however long it, we might could stick to yeah, doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're both archaeologists, um, Lawrence for the New Forest, me for Bournemouth University. And I think in terms of a career, we've, we've enjoyed ourselves. We've had a career we both get a lot out of. We've had the opportunity to travel, see different parts of the world, and maybe in a way that just going on holiday somewhere you don't necessarily get to see. But also in our in our worldview within our, our radar, we meet a lot of interesting people. And I think that's where the podcast really came from, wasn't it? That's exactly right. And I think also, I mean, archaeology, for me, in the media is pretty clear cut. You're either a bit quirky, a bit weird, or you've got a lot of character. Um, and it, it's <laughs> None of which we have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, it, it's it's dumbed down to a certain degree, I, I feel at least. There, there, there's the headlines and there's the basic information, but it's accepted. So this is an opportunity mm-hmm. for our colleagues, professionals, to come on and just share some of their research, some of their experiences, and also give people an idea that there's a lot more difference within archaeology, a lot more variation to just digging a hole. Yeah, that's right. It's easy to imagine archaeology as digging holes or raiding tombs, but we know from being on the inside that there's a range of professions, career routes, trajectories, livelihoods, and just ways of going about studying the past. And we're so fortunate that we get to meet people that interact with the past in very different, dynamic and interesting ways. And one of the reasons I'm particularly keen on this podcast is... We know lots and lots of people, and we've we've worked with many of the people we interview for this series, but actually getting to understand where they came from has been a real joy, and I'm looking forward to doing a lot more of that as the podcast moves forward. Exactly. Well, and also, there's there's a really interesting social media campaign on at the moment, uh, hashtag My5Jobs. Yes, yes. Which I think maybe, I think it might be worth us doing just quickly now. We have a go, yeah. I think that, that's another reason how this came to be because we, we've had really varied careers yeah. um, and we've gone through interesting times whether they're recessions or just not quite having the right qualifications and, and whatnot. But um, I think what these podcasts, or well, I hope what these podcasts will do is show budding archaeologists or current archaeologists or um, retired archaeologists the, the real different routes that people get into this career. So Yeah, for my own... Um... Before archaeology, I obviously had the, the range of careers from electronics, factory worker, solderer, farmer, cafe worker, a, a range of different pathways. But within archaeology itself, I've, I've dabbled in a, in a number of things over my career. So one of my first um, professional jobs was working in the field at Wessex Archaeology, essentially a commercial contract archaeologist. Um, I've worked as a consultant, a freelance consultant. So I set up my own business for a while looking at um, assemblages of metallurgical debris. So I I made myself a bit of a specialist in that context. But I've also worked as a field director, a surveyor, um, various roles across archaeological practice in terms of getting archaeological information, but also analysing and then publishing that data. So it's been a real range in, in my own life story so far. And you're now a lecturer. And now, yeah, I'm a lecturer of archaeology, which 
I would argue is one of the best jobs you can have because you you get to do a bit of everything. I can I can work with students and when you when you're teaching people you obviously have to stay on top of things so you're constantly learning and refreshing your own knowledge and you're interacting with people who will always answer questions that maybe a professional at a conference wouldn't answer so a different style of feedback and interaction about what you're doing but alongside that I do research I, I'm active in research I publish and do a, a range of deep dark administrative jobs that I'm not going to go into into too much depth but it's I, I find it an incredibly rewarding post so far I think it's the best job I've had in my life fair enough well, I mean for me looking back on my first ever job selling guitars and pianos uh, I don't think I would have ever looked forward to thinking where I am today but um, at least within the profession much like you very varied work so whether it's been working for commercial units such as AC or AOC archaeology um, moving forwards as a researcher at uh, Bournemouth University, working on projects like Seeing Beneath Stonehenge, digital okay. um, projects like that, or um, going out on research projects such as working Easter Island, which is just mind-boggling, getting paid Easter to work well, on Easter Island as a 26-year-old. <laughs> when you're an archaeology undergraduate, it's, it's the dream. And, That's insane. Yeah. Um, so super fortunate on that. And then moving forwards through gaining my master's, I got opportunities to um, to work out in Qatar as the Historic Environment Records Officer wow. uh, for the whole country. And that then fed into other contacts and other experiences that pretty much led on to my role now, which is working for the New Forest National ah, yes. Park Authority, working on a, quite a large remote sensing project and uh, working with local volunteers, community groups, sharing the word about archaeology, protecting the archaeology, managing the archaeology, managing the pressures. And uh, I'd probably come back at you that I've probably got the best. <laughs> and now we both sound like gloaty, gloaty bonkers. Yeah, so, this, uh... <laughs> this podcast isn't about us. You'll obviously hear from us and we'll we'll feed into into the podcast from our own experiences. But the podcast as a as a whole is more about the people we talk to i think yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll reflect on it and we'll we'll try to to elaborate on on our discussions with colleagues and professionals a bit but overall the certainly the first few episodes that you'll hear after this one are structured very much around interviewing people mm. doing interesting things having interesting careers in ruins as such some of those interviews may be a bit sketchy in terms of audio quality. We've been recording on location um, in different countries using various devices from iPhones to professional recording equipment. Um, but hopefully the, the tone of the interviews and the, the content will mm. will override the audio quality there. Uh, I think we're almost there now as well. So uh, bear with us over the first few episodes. Yeah, we're, but... we're still developing the podcast. This is... We're, we're funding it ourselves. This isn't a big sponsored thing. We're just doing it because we enjoy the sounds of our own voices. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, we think we know people with interesting stories to yeah. tell. And we want to share. That's it. That's the main thing. Uh, that's the last, as you said, that's probably the last you'll hear about us yeah, as individuals. It's more about sharing. But, uh, there we Absolutely. Go. So what we're going to have in every podcast is a quick reflection on what's caught our attention or caught our juices flowing um, that, that, that week, the week of recording. Yeah. So things that are related to things that come out in the news or in popular culture or something we've done in our day-to-day -day work. Not that we're going to be talking about ourselves all the time. What's caught your attention this week? Oh, so I've had an interesting week this week. I found myself um, quite bizarrely tidying up after an illegal rave on a farm near me. What? Um, and it was... It was quite remarkable um, on many levels, but what struck me as I was working through it, there's no 
record of this. Obviously, the police were doing their thing to record various things. But because it's not like Glastonbury or Reading where there are maps and plans, this is a an unrecorded event. And in such a way as anything in the past is, uh, prehistoric gatherings at Stonehenge, anything like that is is lost because there's no sort of contemporaneous record of it. Yeah. Um, and it was the same here, so it's very much the archaeology of the modern. And I found myself, as I was kind of litter-picking and doing other things, mentally mapping out distributions of material culture, um, mapping the space. And you came down and did some drone photography. Yeah. And from the drone photography itself, you could see nodes of activity um, where various stages have been and people have been trampling and you could see movement patterns in the grass. You could see the, uh, the toilets, you the, could see uh, the uh, food production the, areas. The toilet zones, the food production zones. Um, <laughs> but quite, I mean, it was a range of material culture across, as you could imagine, from all all, um, all avenues of, of <laughs> illicit activity, if you will. Um, but the, the way they clustered around different areas were quite interesting. So there were some stage areas which had more bottles than others others had different debris um, suggesting different activities and there was a a very real low sort of focused locations of different practices through different categories if you will of illicit material culture mm. and it just got me thinking really about how we would reflect on that if it was something we were finding in the past and actually tying the two together worked quite well so it gave me some confidence in what we do as archaeologists i, I think i get you so correct me if wrong but what you're saying is it's it's all ritual it's all ritual <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was there was definitely some ritual activities going on there from fire eating to various inebriation processes <laughs> i like that i think um i i that's a really interesting take on quite an unfortunate situation but uh, you're absolutely right, and I'm quite glad you didn't go around with a differential GPS recording these areas. I, I was exceedingly a, tempted. It was only afterwards I, I, I sat down and reflected. I'd love to have a, a distribution of, of broken balloons or a, a distribution of small rectangular bags um, <laughs> just to see how they tie into the various nodal points of yeah, activity. Different but, speaker locations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't, unfortunately. I, 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 I mentally mapped it, but... Not not in any serious way. So a, always keep good records. Yeah. Good archaeologists keep good records. Nice. <laughs> uh, so how about you? What's been on your mind this week? For me, I mean, it's, it's hard to avoid it, but for me, it's all about Game of Thrones oh, this week. Good, good. We're, I think we're a couple of episodes in now. Yeah. I know you're an avid watcher as well. I am, yeah. You even stayed up to watch the uh, second episode because there was a rave going on. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was putting being awake to good use. <laughs> good. Um, and... There's an aspect of... Uh, I don't think there's going to be too many spoilers here, and if there are, I'm sorry, but yeah. we're going to chat about it. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk a bit about the yeah. most recent episode. <laughs> For the archaeological aspects. Yeah, yeah. I know there's obviously loads of bits that can be reflected to, on in terms of Game of Thrones and oh. the archaeological record, whether, it, whether it's the wall Huge and the use events. of Hadrian's Wall in Scotland and the people north of that. Oh. But I know, I, I, it's like George Martin, um, J.R. Martin got the potted history of the War of the Roses and just put dragons in it yeah a bit of romans <laughs> in there, here and there but, yeah but, um, it's, it's a yeah soup of archaeology yeah, history which, yeah. I quite, which is why we love it I think. exactly yeah <laughs> and the dragons but right. um the thing i've got that got my interest this week was the dragon glass okay so for those of you that don't watch it, it this is basically obsidian yeah um, yeah um, a volcanic stone of sorts yes yeah yeah, yeah. Um, volcanic glass yeah. um that is integral to 
taking down a particular army in, in the war that's in the impending war that's about to which is exactly place. as I imagine obsidian was used in the past yeah. <laughs> true <laughs> maybe not fighting the dead but well, yeah. <laughs> creating that we know of we do find a lot of skeletons oh armies of the dead mind blown <laughs> <laughs> sorry carry on <laughs> um, but um, there's an aspect where they're using a, this volcanic glass or dragon glass or obsidian, whatever it is, um, in the smithing of and the creation of new weapons. And i got to admit, I was sitting there going, ah. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm kind of glad you brought it up. It's something I've been pondering too. And as, as archaeologists, it's very easy to watch something like Game of Thrones and tear every aspect to shreds but there's something about that dragon glass aspect particularly given my, my background in archaeometallurgy and indeed i've just written a paper with a colleague on obsidian um so it's it's a subject quite close to my to my research and to my heart and the idea of somehow using obsidian in a in a forge or a metallurgical based process um am i right in thinking even the valerian steel incorporates some dragon glass in some yeah. way I, I may be wrong there but the fact that it's in some way forged seems it just it just seems wrong. You you nap stone. You you yeah. Well, and this is the other issue I have with it. So they they're claiming that it's being they're whacking it with hammers and forging it and creating these beautiful weapons. But the finished product looks like a napped piece of obsidian. <laughs> I did I, I did get a bit carried away thinking about the, the the possibility of using dragon glass in Valerian steel. I thought. It's not an alloy I've heard of, so dragon glass would be predominantly silica, I suspect. Mm. Um, and somehow mixing that with iron to make some sort of super death-fighting steel, what would the process be in that? Is that even a process that's possible? Um, so having looked it up, it turns out you need about 2,500 degrees high-pressure environments, and you can make some very good electrical resistance devices from it um, but maybe not swords <laughs> <laughs> well I think that yeah as I say my main hang up is that they seem to be suggesting they're making these metal swords or metal axes but they look like someone sat there making, making, <laughs> yeah. taking big crude chunks out of them the sort of thing you'd see in a uh, sort of mesolithic hand axe or, yeah, or, yeah. or even the sort of those massive, massive axes you get from the Neanderthal times. Yeah, they're the taking blades. big chunks of early prehistory and mixing in medieval Roman and later <laughs> technologies. Yeah. And it's, oh, come on now. Well, particularly <laughs> more recently, we, we've been doing a community project where people have been course, doing yeah. test pits in their back gardens. And someone found this beautiful, I presume, Bronze Age arrowhead, tarred, um, barbed and tanked arrowhead. And it looks... It's just a spectacular piece of um, craftsmanship. Yeah. But it's vis- vis- visibly looks comparable to these metal objects. <laughs> Yet it's flint tool. So you're telling printed. me that, that flint arrow wasn't forged in a fiery well, half somewhere? Maybe we need to reassess our interpretation <laughs> of the archaeological record. <laughs> but yeah, that, just a minor rant. But yeah, never mind the dragons. It's the obsidian bit. Yeah, that's the bit I can't get my head around. <laughs> Enough of that nonsense, anyway. Tell us a bit about this week's... Um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of this week's interview. Um, I went to Greece a week or so ago to um, talk with my colleague uh, Jenny Valstein, who's the director of the Swedish Institute yes, of Athens. Yeah, yeah, um, and she's an incredibly interesting woman who's had an in- a really strong career and finds herself in, in, a, in a very kind of mixed job at the moment and it was really interesting to kind of chat to her about her career to date and then throw some of our questions at her which you'll hear a little bit later fantastic let's dive in 
begin with, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank it's you. It's really, really keen to have as many people from as many backgrounds and places as possible. Mm-hmm. So it's a real pleasure to, mm-hmm. to be chatting to you today. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your current position and how you got here, your career really to date, sort of a, a 10 minute summary, if you will, of, yeah. of your career in, in ruins, uh, yes. for want of a better term. Indeed, in ruins. <laughs> well, I, I am currently the director of the Swedish Archaeological Institute at Athens. This is my third year uh, and hopefully I'll be able to do another three Excellent. because these are, there are limits in time yeah. to these positions. Uh, and I've actually been here in Athens for a very long time because I, I started, um, I have my, uh, my BA and my PhD from Lund in Sweden where I started, uh, I started reading literature and then I decided, no, you know, this will not give me a career. Um, so I started reading political science, which I found horrible. I found it horrible. And at the same time, I had said, okay, I'm going to read, I'm going to study this uh, serious subject, but just to be sure that I do something that I find really interesting, I'll also do a bit of uh, classical antiquity, of classical archaeology. And in the end, I realized this is what interests me. And there is no point, I'm never going to finish these studies that I really don't like. Whereas if I do something that I'm passionate about, I'm sure it's going to work Mm. in the end. So I dropped political science and I went into classical archaeology, ancient history and ancient Greek. Okay. Yeah. So you learned the language alongside the studies. Yes, I did. Which was good and bad. I mean, perhaps for languages I would have needed more concentration. On the other hand, I always knew I wanted the language as a tool for history and archaeology and not for pure philology. So in the end, it worked pretty well. And also quite early, I realized I wanted to do religion. I was a bit hesitant about choosing Greece or Rome in the Mm. beginning, but I think it was going a lot to Greece that really changed my mind and Mm. the fact that I had always since childhood liked the myths and the stories. And so uh, for my last year, uh, for the last year of the PhD, I got a scholarship to be here in Athens, which is a fantastic opportunity really, because you have all the libraries of the foreign schools. Uh, Yeah. And if you like, of the universities, but it's just, everything is here. The material is here. I had, you could check references for a full day without having to order books beforehand, everything's, you know, it's just open stacks. And so I finished my PhD here and then I never really returned to Sweden. <laughs> I had a few years of going back and forth, but I wanted to be here. And in 2006, I got the position as assistant director here. Okay, yeah. Uh, and I stayed for three years as the assistant director. Uh, and at that time, I first got a scholarship to do only research because it's a lot of administration finally yeah. as the assistant director and I got pregnant. Uh-huh. So, it so you meant started that, a family here yes, as well. Yes, I started uh-huh. a family here and that meant that the three-year position that I, that I got as a, as a researcher, it was stretched out until five years because <laughs> I went on various periods of maternity leave. Uh, but it was fantastic because then I sort of got to I developed thoughts that I had during the PhD and that I 
never really had the time to think through while being the assistant director. Yeah, yeah. And that I'm still, I'm still working on this material that I used during this time. And then in, in 2017, I started as the director. Okay, so that's when you got this yeah, current position. Exactly. So is it is it quite normal to, because I seem to see it in other people as mm. well, that as you finish a PhD in mm. classical archaeology, you spend some time in the places you're studying and then maybe stay forever. I think so. I <laughs> think a, so. the kind of place you fall in love with, yes. I suppose. And I think it kind of goes together. Mm. If you really, really, I mean, because... Classical archaeology is so alive here. Yeah, yeah. So if you get the opportunity uh, and you get... I guess it's about where you are in your life as well. Yeah. When, you, when you're here. Yes. And I was lucky. I, 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 I sort of... I got into modern Athens very quickly as well. Yeah. I decided, okay, I want to learn modern Greek as well. And I got lots of friends. And, mm. and so, you know, I liked both my, my work and my everyday life, and they somehow got mingled, oh, and I wanted to stay. <laughs> I was going to ask, actually, so you learnt ancient Greek before mm. modern Greek. Yes, I did. And did that help with the modern Greek Absolutely. in a big way? Um, Absolutely. Presumably there's a huge yes. crossover. But... It was a problem when trying to find a course in modern Greek. Okay. Because I signed up as a beginner, yeah. because I couldn't speak. But of course, everything written, everything grammatical was just very simple yeah, yeah so they didn't know how to place me because i still couldn't talk <laughs> yeah and in yeah. the end i was on a very high level but i couldn't participate fully mm. because of the conversation and so i ended up taking courses just with one other girl a kind of uh, yeah. tailor-made thing and that was perfect so i learned quite quickly and that was definitely because i had the base in ancient mm. greek and that was all done in athens yes while, while you were here yeah yeah. I think at some point I'm going to have to sign up to a, an intensive course. It is. And, and actually, it's very... So first, you have the ancient Greek helps you with the modern yeah. Greek. And then it goes back the other way. Okay. Because since there are so many words that are still the same. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's the same language. It's just, for me, it, it was easier. Because, yeah. Well, um, and so now, because I have the modern Greek as an active language, I, my ancient Greek has also become... I mean, I, I recognize words now that I only knew passively and had to look up 10 times in ancient Greek. Yeah, yeah. But because I actually use them now, uh, you know, that's become much better. That's super. Mm. So your research at the moment is carrying on from what you were doing before. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the, the details of what you're researching? Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. I, my, my PhD was on uh, uh, dedications from magistrates of different sorts to Aphrodite. Okay. So. I started quite early looking at uh, polytheism and the difference between the Panhellenic myths where you have Aphrodite as the goddess of sexuality, um, sensuality, beauty, etc. And then you have all these very local and, and uh, um, living cults mm. where she's worshipped in a very different way. Okay. I mean, when you read Homer and then you see that the main political uh, officials of a city worship this goddess it, it, I mean, it's sort of, it looks strange yeah, yeah. in the beginning. But then you realize there are so many levels, both to, to, to regional uh, cults, but also inside the gods. So within a single god, there's within a variation a single god. So I, I look at, uh, a lot of, on epithets, mm. on, on cultic epithets that really can turn a god into anything. Ah. So that's a very strange, uh, diff and it's a difficult dynamic between the 
overarching umbrella god, say Demeter. Mm. And then the other Demeters that can be very precise and, and you don't quite know how to fit them all together. And do they seem to be tailored to regions as well as Absolutely. administrations? Absolutely, yes, right. yes. And you can even find epithets that are made from personal names. So mm. they turn into really family gods. Wow. Yeah. That's quite interesting. It so is. Sort of the ownership of mm. the, the, the gods in that way. So, so I, I look a lot on that and, and generally I would say perhaps on communication between gods and men. Oh. And the grey zone between what's human and what's divine. Yeah. Because of course there are, there is a grey zone in, in in Greek thought. So how, how does that manifest in terms of investigating, well, I guess, that, yes. that area? Well, I mean, you, you can become divine yeah. in certain uh, times of, of, of Greek history. And I think what I'm exploring now is how this relates to the fact that the gods could take human shape. And I think that's very, yeah. that, that's very, that, that's crucial because if a god looks like a human being, it means that you can compare yourself to the gods. Yeah, yeah. In terms of looks, in terms of skills, etc. And of course, there, there's a lot of interaction. I mean, there are lots of children by gods and men, and, and there are lots of, there's friendship, there is, uh, you know, the, there are, they can be bitter enemies, etc. Mm. But there's a lot of interaction, and, and this is where I'm looking now. It's worth pointing out, having listened to that back now, um, that Jenny and I were in her office in Athens, which overlooks the Acropolis and the Parthenon, and it's a very busy part of town. So um, you will have heard frequently cars driving by, um, <laughs> horns beeping, the sound of inner city Athens. That's um, it. Authentic. Yeah, it's an authentic sounding Athens. <laughs> what a great interview and really interesting um, start to her career and um, how... I, I, particularly the bit I loved that she she was looking at literature and political sciences, and she there was a quote in there that she said, um, "If if I'm going to do something I'm passionate about, it's going to work." So yeah. she she identified that immediately that she was going to love this ancient Greek um, research and this this aspect of her her re, her studies to date and so she parked all the rest of it and yeah she threw everything all her passion all her interest into her career when she said that actually i thought a bit about my own early career which i alluded to earlier working in the electronics factory that was when i decided to go and be an archaeologist and when i was looking around at various degrees i made the very conscious choice that i, mean, I could go and be an accountant and become rich and wealthy or a lawyer but if I didn't love it, I wouldn't succeed and I wouldn't do well. So mm. I, I chose archaeology because I knew I'd care and I knew I could perhaps do well in that subject. And it was it was good to hear Jenny say a similar yeah, thing. Yeah, reference it. Yeah. And um, also she 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 talks about she's she lucky or um, she was in the right place in in her life to be able to take advantage of that situation. But I I still think there's a lot of self drivenness there. And yeah, she's an incredibly driven woman, mm. and um, she's a joy to work with. Jenny, yeah, um, yeah, massively. Um, we've been working together for a few years now. Um, she oversees a lot of the work we do in Greece on our collaborative projects. Yeah, no, it's great. It's interesting, and uh, it's it quite tricky not to snigger or trying to come up with some homer jokes at this point <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I must confess i'm i'm fairly ignorant to this this subject as a whole I and mean, i 
working with yourself and our colleagues out in Greece in the last couple of years, my knowledge and experience is coming up. But uh, yeah. other than what, three weeks ago when we were in Athens, that's only the third or second time I've been in Athens myself. And so I, I just haven't had a chance to bring myself up to, to scratch on this subject. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting as well because we, the kind of archaeology we do in Greece is quite... Um, focused on the mundane almost, mapping houses, structures, buildings, mm. towns, cities, if you will. Um, whereas Jenny's is much more focused on religion and gods, which is kind of beyond the material that we tend to see in our sort of non-invasive survey type practices. Maybe when we get to excavate sites in the future there, we'll find um, offerings to gods and we'll engage with the religious side more. But it's not really entered our Greek worldview no. to such a degree. Um, but it was fascinating. I was, I was really enjoying... Um, hearing Jenny talking about the the gods, because I'd always, when you hear about the, the Greek um, panoply of gods or the Roman gods, you kind of, each one has a character, uh, much like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they have a, a very defined character. Role. Yeah, they, mm. they, they play their role, but it seems like there's a lot of variation in different gods, but also within single gods, so one particular god could have a different identity depending on who's worshipping them and where mm -hmm. and how. And that that's something, that kind of depth is something I hadn't really appreciated no. about the, the, the Greek gods in the past. No, it's, it was good. I think um, as well what, what became clear is uh, her passion and uh, her interest for it. It is it's quite an easy subject to fall in love with and location. Yeah. Um, and so it's not like someone perhaps that's specialised in medieval cesspits in, in Sweden. Like she, and then she, never left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. She went to Greece, she, she became an expert, she mm. worked bloody hard. Yeah, and went, yeah. actually, do you know what, I'm going to stay. Yeah, yeah. Fair play. And it's, it's a place, personally, I, I, I resisted for a long time in my career. I went to Greece very early on as an undergrad. And I was, ah, it's full of archaeologists, why, why, why work in Greece? <laughs> and it's slowly but surely creeping in and I'm, I'm, I could happily see myself <laughs> just are we going to be doing these interview these these catch-ups over skype i think we might have to yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no it was, it, it was great to talk to jenny and i one other thing i'm kind of in awe of um and again she's she's a very humble person and wouldn't necessarily talk about this herself but there was a moment where it occurred to me during the interview where we were talking about languages and learning languages and i'm terrible at learning languages Same. i tried time and time again and it occurred to me we were talking about her learning two different forms of Greek in English, which is her second language anyway, <laughs> um, outside of her native Swedish. And I, I, I'm kind of envious and in awe, I think, of anyone yeah, that absolutely. has multiple languages like mm. that and, and has that capacity to, to learn. Maybe we all do deep down, but certainly I've, I've yet to succeed with that. Maybe Greek will well, be the one. You can speak Dorset and English. I so can, yeah, yeah. yeah I can you've come on a long yeah, way yeah. in the time I've known you. Exactly. So you don't put yourself <laughs> down, pal. <laughs> right, on that, should we listen to the next part of yes. the interview? <laughs> so you've had a, a broad career to date. Mm. Of all the research you've done and the positions you've held up until now in the PhD, is there one aspect of your research that you're particularly proud of and you'd say this is kind of my proudest achievement to date? Hmm, this is, this is difficult. Well, I'm sort of, um, I'm proud of my own development going from, uh, from seeing, the, well, I guess it's the, the it's the, um, 
I guess everyone everyone takes this journey going from something that you 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 on the surface looks really simple mm. and then uh, and then you and then you start looking into it and, be, and it becomes this very complicated web um, but I, I'm sort of proud that I've accepted this in a certain uh, sense. Yeah, so you followed that rabbit hole almost into yes. complexity. And... Yes, exactly, exactly. And um, I'm, I'm, yes, and I'm a bit proud of, of my my thoughts on, on. I call it, I call it religious background noise. Okay. Which I which I think is. Very. I mean, you probably have it in our society as well, but mm. but it becomes very clear in a in a polytheistic society where gods can just appear. I mean, mm. they can choose to show themselves and to walk among men, and you have all of these. Um, uh, you have uh, theophoric names, for example, mm. names that uh, consist of one part that relates to a god and, and then um, something else like. Um, um, Artemidor, a gift of Artemis, for example. Yeah, yeah. But you also have a version of these where you call people just divine names, mm. or plain Artemis. Ah, yeah. And of course, this means that every time you call out this name, you you call the god. Mm. So, so you have this, which which in a sense becomes an invocation, a prayer, because the god, the, the child certainly got the name of the god for religious reason yeah, yeah. in the beginning maybe mm. then there is a kind of um, inflation i don't know but <laughs> but it means that there is a lot of noise going on and the same thing when you have a society with sculpture of gods everywhere yeah in the in the gymnasium uh, of course in the sanctuaries but also along the roads everywhere you mm. get this and um, I've done some work here that I find that, that I'm proud of. Clutter, isn't it? Religious yes. clutter. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you really have a world full of gods and potential divine meetings. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. So turning at this question, hopefully, is a little bit more straightforward. Um, although some people have found it quite challenging. Um, <laughs> Obviously, in your position here, you you interact with a huge amount of projects and people and research going on, and you you oversee a significant amount of that. Is there any project or research or thing that someone's doing that you're particularly envious of? Hmm. If you could I'm say, sure. if you could put yourself in someone else's place for a season, yes, or a, a year. yes. Well, I mean, there are so many amazing places here. Mm. So, of course, I, I would really have wanted to. To be part of the projects in in Delos and Delphi, for example, oh, yeah. that must be amazing because there are so there is a certain atmosphere to these places, I think, and and to. But of course, maybe I would find it a bit scary to be there and and dig among the the you know in the sanctuary in the temples and and. Uh, move around the gifts uh, of the gods uh, but, but that I would really really have wanted and in the beginning yeah. if I could go a bit back can, in yeah, time yeah, can I go like that if, yeah, if, yeah. If the, that, that would have been fantastic or when they found the archaic sculpture on the Acropolis uh, and, uh, for example yeah so to be on yes. one of those big discoveries yes yes so would that have been with Presumably the archaeologists, mm. and I'll show my complete naivety of Greek archaeology now, <laughs> presumably the archaeologists heading up those excavations are quite big names in the history of the discipline now. Mm. And to work alongside them would have, must be quite a thing to see that in action. I yes, to, to see, I mean, to, to see history come back. Yeah. 
yeah. in, in a very material sense. In that That's, yes. That first like this, glimpse of it as well. Exactly. Yeah. When you have these, there are lots of amazing black and white photos where you suddenly see enormous sculpture just appearing for example this yeah. must be this must be amazing i think yeah that sounds like a, mm. a dream um mm. i think i'm with you there yeah so the, the final question kind of builds on that one a little bit um so lawrence and i in our years of podcasting have finally perfected a time machine oh so we can we're offering all of our guests just one ticket a return ticket okay it's a return to go yeah. somewhere mm -hmm. in the past mm -hmm and see something or someone will do something. Mm. So where would you like to go with your, your ticket, your return ticket? Oh, and I have to choose just one, just, right? Just, just one for one. now, yeah. <laughs> I, classical Athens would be an obvious choice, but I, I think also Hellenistic Alexandria. Okay. When it's being founded, that's, uh, you know, when, it's, when it starts growing, I think that would have been very, very exciting. So the, the founding of a Hellenistic city. So what would you see yeah. on that trip, do you think? Well, I, I guess, I mean, it's a long, it's a long procedure, of course, of, um, but I, I would so much have loved to see how, how the, the library evolves and, and these kinds of things. What more? Is there one? Yes, I, I actually, this is one of my projects. I would mm. like to do a series of these, a fly on the wall, um, okay. you know, scenarios. Yeah, yeah. To be on the trial of Socrates. Mm. Like to, to be at Thermopylae and oh, this. Yes, uh, yeah. I just find it very difficult to choose one. So, so let's say that's mm. one. If we gave you a, mm -hmm. a, a surprise extra ticket. A surprise extra ticket. <laughs> oh, this is, this is very difficult. It's, it's a question that has stumped many so far. Yes. <laughs> or maybe one thing that would have been also really interesting is to see the Athenians coming back when the Persians have sacked the Acropolis. Okay. When they come back and they need to take care of their burnt city and they come back with, the, they, they, we think they saved the cult statue of, of mm. Athena. And that would have been, I think, very touching. Lots of feelings of, of despair, but also, you know, we, we, we did it and we can rebuild it. Mm. That would have been a good that's, Yeah, mm. I think you'd see a lot. So would yeah. Athens very is very close to my heart. Yeah, I, I, some, yeah. I would go back somehow to Athens, I think. I, I, mm. I'm inclined to agree. I think mm. I'd probably do a similar mm. thing to see it in its prime, but also but yeah. that period of, it must have been a period of reflection, I guess, to come exactly. back and, exactly. and rebuild. So to what extent was was it destroyed? How, how, how much can we see of, of that? reconstruction that ancient reconstruction is well that i mean the acropolis or? was destroyed completely gone. yes yes i mean we we but fortunately this meant that they did bury a lot of the sculpture of the old sculpture oh, okay. because it wasn't supposed to leave the sacred area uh, even though it was yeah yeah you know burnt and, and probably destroyed so uh, paradoxically this is why we have a lot of the archaic sculpture mm. because it was destroyed and it ended up in in uh, in pits uh, is that why there's some stranger, strangish building motifs as well? Some column drums in walls? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yes. I mean, because after the Persian Wars, we think that, I mean, they hadn't bothered too much with walls yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, they quite quickly decided to, to create something. And as you say, they seem to have made a kind of pattern um, with architectural members that's uh, that were never used as they should have been used. 
And so that, they became a kind of monument yeah, about, yeah. well, I mean, it, it's it's that of endurance. Yes, it's almost a, a, a memory of the I think so, yes. Yeah. I mean, the whole cliff is really um, a memorial landscape yeah. in, in so many ways. And even uh, I, the style of modern reconstruction, yes. I find, is quite nice because it's it almost seems to be intentionally just a little bit different, just different mm. enough that you know yes. it's modern, it's yes. a reconstruction, but it, it also, it's still got that memory of yes. the, the shapes of the past. And I think it really becomes a living memory. Yeah. Although, okay, it's a memory of something else mm. now, of, of another time past perhaps, but it's, I agree, it's, it's, a, it's a tradition. It's quite touching to be chatting about it and see it over your shoulder there. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's dangerous it's, to be so close because sometimes I forget. Isn't it? It's so inescapable. Yes. It's it, everywhere you are in this city, you can yeah. look up. You can, you can orient yourself. yourself. That's mm. very good. That's what we tend to tell our students. You know, you, you, we, are, we are on the south side and it's really easy to find it. So it's the Parthenon <laughs> slope. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, that's fantastic. So thank you very much You're for welcome. joining us. A pleasure. It's been a really interesting chat and um, I look, maybe look forward to interviewing you in five, six years' time. Absolutely. We've moved on from here. and yeah. Three books, at three, least. Three books down yes. the line. Perfect. <laughs> thank you very much. There we go. What a great interview. I, I thought that was really interesting and really insightful and some of Jenny's work and some of the things she reflected on other people have done and her use of the time machine was, was great. Uh, I do have a bone to pick with you. Yeah. It's our first episode. Yep. We spent a lot of time and money on this time machine. Yep. And you're just handing out tickets <laughs> willy-nilly. We, uh, we agreed it's one ticket. I know, person. I know. But I, I, I knew there was something bubbling under the surface. And I've got to admit, Jenny's second answer was was fascinating. Well, that was your saving grace. Because yeah, if yeah. she hadn't used it wisely, Derek. <laughs> it was a time machine well used. She, she'd earned that second We've ticket, We've only got a set number of time crystals that we can use. <laughs> I'll charge for flux capacity. <laughs> Yeah, her second use was fascinating. I mean, talking about the the sacking of Athens and the coming back and that feeling of the Athenians seeing their city in ruins. You, you're going to have to humour me a bit here. Could you give me a bit more background of that exact event or how I, that came to be? I, I can, but as you know, I'm, I'm no classical historian and much of my knowledge comes from Hollywood movies. Okay. Um, but in this instance, I believe the, uh, the the Persian sacking of Athens is kind of the events that immediately followed the film 300. Oh. <laughs> um, um, immediately following the Battle of Thermopylae. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me to say. Um, obviously, the... Um, the 300 and the 700 others lost um, and the Persians headed south to a defenceless Athens. And I believe, um, as far as I know from my uh, my history lessons and a very brief perusal of Wikipedia, um, the Athenians um, evacuated Athens on their navy, um, leaving it essentially to the Persians. And it was only some years later um, they returned to, their, to, to rebuild, ultimately. So that must have, yeah, as, as Ginny alludes to, that must have been quite a interesting time or emotional time to come back. Yeah, and a much less inspiring sequel for a film, I suspect. <laughs> a TV series, maybe. Straight to Netflix. But it's, it's funny, though, because Jenny was... Even before we gave her a ticket on the time machine, she was travelling back in time to go to some of her favourite excavations. And that's a great answer to that, what are you envious of, rather than thinking of something that's going on now. I'd be quite tempted to go back to some of the big excavations in history. I mean, I would absolutely love to be excavating on top of the Acropolis. Can you imagine that? I would lose my mind. 
it would be fantastic to be up there to be to be there when some of that's being revealed for the first time. I mean, what a what a thing to see. Yeah. I mean, anyone that I mean, as as Jenny was saying in that interview, peeling back the soil and seeing a giant statue emerging that then ends up in a museum that ev- hundreds of thousands of tourists every week see yeah. must be such a such an amazing experience. And it sets the baseline for our interpretation and understanding of those events, that that, that archaeological record. Granted, there are written events and the written records of some of these things, but that archaeological record, it, it, they're the first people to set the standard set the bar for how we go forward and how we interpret what we're doing. That's one of the real joys of a career in ruins as well, is that ability to be that first person to see something or that first person to touch something and to to spend your life, uh, as, as Jenny has, studying uh, religion, which is kind of based on cultic symbols and statues and um, uh, text carved into stone. All of these things have been recovered over 200 years or so of Greek archaeology mm. and to have been that person that first dusted off that slab i mean it's it's fantasy archaeology in a way it's the archaeology of, of the movies but in 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 athens that's where those stories came from where those early tales came from along with egypt and sort of the, the other kind of original um tomb raider indiana jonesy styles of 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 discovery but just walking around those spaces and those sites you get a sense of that the scale of that discovery and that's not to diminish I mean, archaeology elsewhere, you can learn a huge amount from excavating a medieval midden um, or cistern or indeed going through the, uh, the detritus of a rave. But you, it's it's just that, that very physical spaces of the past that are yeah. preserved so well in that mm. environment and and the, the the extensive use of stonework in, in constructing these these um, places. It's It's so hard not to fall for that and it's mm. so hard not to want to study that more i think absolutely i i really enjoyed this week's podcast um next week we've got christian christian horn yeah i've gone next week i go to sweden um <laughs> to interview my good friend christian horn about his work in rock art studies fantastic well looking forward to it <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Career in Ruins podcast. Please make sure that you subscribe to our downloads on whatever whatever system you receive your podcast from. Make sure you comment. Do send us any questions or thoughts you have on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. And uh, we'll, we'll look to try and to reply to as many questions as we can, hopefully in the podcast as well. And sound production on this episode has been done by Guy from BucketofSound.com.